All right. Well, welcome to yet another episode of Fuck You Friday. I'm your host, Wynn Silberman. This is my co-host, Casey LeBlanc. And I'm very excited today because we have a special guest in town. His name is Joe Sai. Joe, thank you very much for uh, coming and participating on our podcast. Thank you for having uh, me. Joseph Sai here is a senior executive for Harvest, which is an uh, extremely uh, elite cannabis company, one of the most elite cannabis companies, quite frankly, in the world. And we're really excited to be able to dig in a little bit about that and the business side of things. Um, it's obviously you're a you're a true pioneer in an industry, and it's awesome. Um, but, Joe, what I like to do before um, we start getting into you is um, always have Casey just kind of explain explain why why we're here, because you still don't really know, and I don't know. And uh, maybe if you could help me, Casey. <laughs> yeah. That would be wonderful, because you've yeah. done this just, a few times. Yeah, now. give me some context. I still don't, don't know why I'm here. Yeah. Well, I can tell you a little bit about the podcast. I don't really know why we're here, but I think... <laughs> or why he's here in general. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I think just generally speaking, Fuck You Friday is about how you're competing on Fridays to set yourself up for success. So what people are doing that most people wouldn't. So most people, it's kind of like a... You know, Friday's the third day of the weekend and you get into this mentality of like, how do I just survive? And, you know, in, in, in the business world, in the realm that we want to talk with you about, it's a lot about how are people competing in business to be successful? And, and Friday being a day where like when I first moved to San Diego, it's it's a beach town, right? Like sure. nobody's working past 12 o'clock. And so we're talking to business executives that have shown ultra success, athletes that have been at the top of their game. And we want to know what are little things, tips, tricks, uh, you know, that you may or may not even recognize that you're doing that other people can learn some things from. So that's kind of the genesis of it. And and usually what we do at this point is kind of just start with some of your background, you know, kind of where yeah. you're from and give us a little bit of background as far as how you got to you know, to be where you're at today. Sure. Uh, grew up in California. Okay. So uh, fortunately, which at the time I didn't love, but I grew up on a farm. Uh, grew up uh, with horses, cows, pigs, um, and all my friends lived in the city, got to run around and play. Um, instead, uh, for me, I was waking up at 5 a.m. before I went to school, feeding animals, mm. um, you know, digging trenches, um, you know, doing all the things that you would do on a farm. Um, so I grew up in Modesto. Um, which I'm sure you, you know where Modesto is. Yeah. And, and yeah. So yeah. Central yeah. Valley there, big farm, big farm area. Um, from there, uh, moved to... And you just just staying on that note, so yeah. you probably learned a lot, like work ethic-wise, right from a get, the get-go, right? Farming, and then yeah. when you say digging trenches, that's how I grew up, so yeah, that resonates absolutely. with me, right? So that's, I mean, you almost learn more doing that than you do in school. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, we just jump right in yeah, there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, I grew up middle class. Um, I've been very fortunate in my life, um, and if I look back on everything that's happened to me in my life, it starts with the work ethic that my father and mother, you know, instilled in me when I was mm -hmm. on the farm. Um, I wasn't given, you know, uh, you know, a Corvette when I got turned 16. I wasn't, uh, you know, we, we didn't have, we weren't poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, I never wanted for anything. Um, but what I did get, you know, and very fortunate, um, I have two parents that are still married 55 years. Um, Know, they raised three great kids. Well, at least two great kids, and then there's me. <laughs> yeah. So we'll figure that out. You know? they, so they had at least one uh, black sheep on your farm, uh, right? Well, of yeah. course. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I was definitely the one that was in trouble um, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, my father's a Naval Academy graduate, so uh, I also had that military, mm. you know, he's got that military background, still, still wears a crew cut. Um, wow. And so it's very black and white the way I grew up. And so uh, was your was your when you were a kid is everything outlined like hey you're going to wake up at five o'clock and then from five to six you're doing that was were you on were you on military to, timelines to some extent okay uh, right like you had to get everything done before you went to school and you had to do everything when you got home when you got home from school um, you know I can still remember my father telling me and my brother we're moving to a farm uh, because you boys are going to learn how to work um, and I didn't love it 
through the age of 14, right? My friends are off at, uh, you know, doing whatever they're doing out, riding their bikes, skateboarding, and I'm out there, like we said, digging trenches. And, yeah. Um, but when I look back on my life and where I'm at today, like, that's why I'm where I'm at. That's right? awesome. Because um, you have to be willing to do what other people aren't willing to do. And you talk about Fridays, right? I mean, how many people block their calendars on Friday? Right. Um, you know, to me, every day is Monday when it comes to business. Right. So, you've, you know, I'm 24-7. I'm on, phone's on. Uh, my, all the all the people that work for me, um, I'm available for. Uh, always trying to find an edge. Right? Well, we, so in a backstory, you and I met in in Arizona, and it was it was Sunday, right? And me and Win were on vacation. Win, we were on vacation. Uh, he was on vacation. <laughs> well, yeah, well, came for a few days. I came for a, yeah. Well, his vacation was a lot longer yeah, than yeah, mine. Yeah, yeah. His vacation has it's, been it's since extended. high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah or before yeah. that. Or, <laughs> I was thinking fourth but, grade. But it was Sunday, and it was interesting. Like it, we we sat down to brunch, and we're thinking, okay, like this, it's party time, right? Because we're on vacation, yeah. and you were like, absolutely not. Like Sunday's yeah. a day I'm preparing. You go, you don't understand. Like the people that that report to me, I have a responsibility to them, and I thought it was an interesting point. Is like as a leader, when you're when you're thinking like that, it comes from like a lineage of people that have done similar things. So your your father being in in the military and kind of ingraining this work ethic in you, but it's also now morphed into some leadership and well, making choices. Yeah, right? leadership and and you're you're not only a leader, but there there's a pioneer component to this. Let's transition into into cannabis um, because uh, it's one of the first um, industries where it's it's a nascent industry. Number one, number two, I, I would assume. I mean, how how your father reacted to um, you sharing that you were going to get in this industry. When exactly did you decide that you wanted to get into this industry? Um, and what were the, some of the reasons why? Sure. Um, you know, 2013, I would say, is when I knew I wanted to get into the cannabis industry. Maybe 2000 and even 2011, maybe even. Um, but uh, it was, it was you know, the Wild West here in, well, in California, yeah. as you know. Um, I was running a telecommunications business in 2013, acquired a business in, in Arizona. Uh, when I got to Arizona, um, that happened to be the first real regulated market in cannabis. Uh, and it became evident to me, well, in 2011, I knew, you know, you're talking about a new industry, you're building something, the opportunity there, right, um, to to take something from nothing to where harvest is today um, is, uh, is, you know, there's so much opportunity. So for me, I knew wanting to be in that industry, not because it's marijuana, because I'm not really a marijuana guy. Um, but for me, it was all about business and it was all about the opportunity. It was about the ability to build something, uh, in an industry that was brand new, right? Fragmented, uh, and just, you know, that's where, that's what excited me, but it took me till July of 2017 to find the right group. Can, can you, for those that don't know, can you talk about Harvest, like what it is and just give us like, like the kind of the elevator pitch of yeah. exactly what Harvest is and how it's different. And then some, some background on size and scale of, of what sure. you've done since whether it was 13 or 17 and, and where it is today. Sure. Um, so uh, Harvest is a multi-state operator. We're one of the biggest in the country. Um, and we just actually inked a merger um, and are in the process of closing that merger, which will make the combined companies the largest or most profitable cannabis company in the, in the world. Um, and we, we uh, sold Harvest uh, for $2.1 billion, uh, and that transaction should close hopefully this year. Uh, but, you know, it could take a year from now. Um, it's all regulatory stuff, is when you're familiar yeah. with, right? Yeah. So ownership changes, license, uh, uh, changing people out on licenses, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, so we started out in, in Arizona. Um, our CEO, Steve White, um, started the company, and uh, in July of 17, um, I came in as an investor um, with uh, with another partner, Jason Vidotti, merged some licenses into Harvest, and at that point, uh, Harvest had uh, seven licenses, I believe, uh, by um, 
sometime early 19, we had almost 200 licenses across the country. Wow. So walk me through, uh, in terms of licensing, uh, there's obviously, in the con- there's every state kind of treats things a little differently, right? But uh, for California, for example, there's, there's various things you could get into in the context of this industry. You can get into manufacturing, you can get into distribution, you can get into retail, um, you know, you can cultivation, everything, right? But what exactly, what did you, did you choose a specific category, for example, for California or, or any state? Or is there something that you're driven towards, for example? Are you more driven towards retail versus cultivation and, and why? I think verticality is, is important, mm. right? So being vertical, um, that's where you see your biggest margins, right? So um, it's difficult to just be a retailer in this industry. Define um, verticality for in the context of this industry. What sure. does that mean? So starting our, your supply chain starts in your cultivation facility, uh, growing your own product, um, taking your own product to market. So finish good in packaged flour. Um, also taking the byproduct of that trim and, and adulterated uh, material, which would be flour that you can't sell. Um, taking that into the manufacturing facility, pressing that into oil, making vape pens, edibles, et cetera. Um, so your cultivation, manufacturing, um, you're really a, you're really running about five businesses when you're ver- vertical. Um, generally, I like to, to say, you know, I have friends that's a, that is a beer distributor, right? They're a beer, beer distributor. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, at Harvest, we are big ag, manufacturer, distributor, or a retailer. Right, um, and you could throw a few other businesses in there. Um, so, it, you know, being vertical is, is, is a mm-hmm. challenge. Um, it's something that you don't normally see in most industries here. Uh, and in are you even allowed industry. to do it? Of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in California, you can be vertical. Um, one, one company can own all, all types of licenses, except you cannot also, so you can't be a cultivator and you can't be a te- have a testing license, right? Got so it. that testing license has to be separate, but everything else you can, uh, uh, you can own under one company in the state of California. Some states like Florida, you're forced, forced to be vertical. Um, so there are no uh, horizontal licenses uh, in, in uh, the state of Florida. Um, so Arizona forced to be vertical. Now you don't have to be vertical in F- Arizona because you can buy third party product. Um, in Florida, you cannot, you must produce everything you sell in your stores. Well, so it's different by state. Yeah. It's interesting too. And then there's also this component of like the federal acceptance of, of yeah. your business, right? Yeah. So can you, can you, as an executive, walk us through what it's like working in an industry where it's, it's state, every state is kind of on its own. And then the federal government's kind of, they're almost doing like a look away. Like we know what's going on, but we're not willing to really do anything about it. What's your take on, on some of that? It's kind of a hot topic, obviously in the industry. Sure. Um, you know, if we talk about federal legalization, I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. Really? No, I don't. Um, you know, you may see, hopefully Congress will do some things to help um, the industry to advance. And when I talk about advance, I mean, I think one of the most important things is banking. Um, so we're very fortunate. We have banking in every state that we operate in, but it's very difficult. So um, having to be, you know, basically each state, it's almost like we run an international business, I guess would be the best way to, to, uh, to describe that because in each state, um, you have a different set of rules. You have to build your infrastructure, can't build cross state lines, right? So I can't cultivate flour in Arizona and sell it across the country. I have to cultivate in every state. Because of the federal issue. That's Absolutely. federal jurisdiction. So when you have two states involved and you're doing business in that state, the federal government comes in and says, hey, look, because of the Commerce Clause, we have jurisdiction and it's our rules now. And so you can't do that. Well, I can't. Yeah, interstate commerce would be a, a really bad thing for, <laughs> for, for any publicly traded organization like Harvest to to. Uh, to have an issue with. So um, all of us have to build the infrastructure, each individual state, right? So you lose, 
you lose the efficiency mm-hmm. in the scale scalability of your of mm. your business, right? Um, because otherwise, we'd have a giant cultivation in California, and we'd be shipping flour across the country, right? Um, and then the rules, we, you know, so so every every state, uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Arizona, we all have different rules. So you're really managing. A, a, a separate business. Do you have like a state. compliance director? Or is uh, that we, just kind of the, the, the executives are all kind of managing that? Well, so everybody's responsible for compliance, but okay. we do have a, I do have a legal team of legal seven team. or so okay. uh, folks and, and compliance is, is always at the top of our list. Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it's the responsibility of everybody in the organization. And you talked a little bit, sorry, yeah, you no, talked no. a little bit about going public. I'm assuming that pu- going public yeah. is not in the USA, right? Uh, no. Right. Okay. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's not. It's very interesting. So, uh, yeah. you know, all the Canadian marijuana companies trade here in the U.S. on the U.S. stock exchange. And that's part of the banking thing that I'm talking about, huh. um, if we come back to that, right? Um, and then all the U.S., big U.S. companies, which were a much larger market, we trade on a, a much smaller stock exchange uh, uh, on a Canadian securities exchange in, in Canada because it's federally legal in Canada and it's federally illegal in Arizona. Um, so because it's federally legal in Canada, they can trade in Canada. Uh, <laughs> the Canadians can trade here, uh, Canadian companies. And because it's federally legal, in Canada, we can trade on their share. So were you part of the, the exec team that was able to, do they ring the bell? Is it similar to the New York Stock Exchange? Yeah, walk uh, us through no, that. What happened? No, yeah. no, it wasn't <laughs> quite like that. It so, wasn't? Okay. Um, it, it's it's a tough process um, to get public. Um, a lot easier, I believe, though, in Canada than it would have been here in the U.S. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, at the time, the right decision for the organization. I'd much rather be a private company, by the way. It's very difficult to be a publicly Why did you go public? What, what was the concept? Uh, because it, you, you needed a couple things. One of them, raising capital at that time was still difficult to do in the industry. Much easier to go public in Canada to raise capital. Um, and then, then the, to use your stock as currency for acquisitions. So those were the two main reasons why mm. you decided to go public in, in our industry. And at that time, it was a land grab, right? You needed to be able to access capital and you needed to be able to acquire uh, licenses. Quickly, right? Yeah, because, I mean, if you take states like Illinois, you get a limited license, Arizona, limited license, right? All the state, most all the states were in our limited license state. So if you don't have a license, you're out. I'm, I'm curious on looking out into the future and where tobacco plays a role, right? They, these are these massive companies that yeah, are- Absolutely. Right, they're just kind of sitting in the background and are yeah, they- what are they waiting on? Are, yeah, <laughs> what, can, can you can you maybe hypothesize on where you see tobacco playing a role in, in cannabis moving forward? Sure. Um, I mean, I think if you look at, uh, you can look at several different industries, right? Alcohol is gonna have a role. Um, tobacco will have a role. Um, you know, even Circle K may have a role, right? Because you're gonna look at, um, the business that we have, if we were actually to sell this business to a, to somebody outside the industry, most likely you would chop it up, right? So you would probably have big ag come in and buy your your, your cultivation facilities. Um, I said Circle K. I mean, you could look at 7-Eleven. Any of these groups may come in and want to buy the retails, right? Um, so um, they, I think they all have a role, but the reason that they can't be involved in the industry today is because of the federal legalization. Um, if we could get something passed in Washington that would at least allow us to trade on the U.S. stock exchange, uh, access private equity money here in the United States, um, that would really make a big difference and allow those groups to enter to the market. You guys can't have private equity? Um, it's really difficult in the U.S. Really? Yeah. really? Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, depending on the company, right? Depending on... on well, 
it's interesting because I mean, not that not we don't we need to go into unions that much, but from a labor context, I mean, Richard Trumpka has spoken uh, to some extent and said, "Hey, look, even labor has blessed this this industry. They they gave a, a three year um, gift to the to the food workers. Obviously, as we know, I mean, the unions are trying to get involved. Um, I don't want to go too heavy into that, but it's interesting that there's 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 federal movement, right? I mean, that's labor. Yeah, absolutely." <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of groups, but uh, you, you, I think union point out the union is one. They're they're really pushing right because they're losing membership in other right. areas. Yeah, right? they're seeing this so as an opportunity. They're really pushing and seeing this as an opportunity to say, okay, this is where we can go and grow. Um, and 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 cannabis is a space that is growing rapidly, right? Um, even today, where you have uh, it is difficult to hire hire uh, hourly employees. Um, in cannabis, you know, we might have a thousand people apply for you know, 10 positions in a, in a dispensary. Um, and so that's where, you know, yeah. union, but there's, there's a lot of other areas, uh, even federally charted banks are doing business to some extent with some of the They're finding something, there's some, some wiggle room in their charter somehow, sure. right? And, and uh, uh, so it, it's really, you know, is Congress going to actually get off their butts and say, okay, you know, the cat's way out of the bag. Um, <laughs> nothing's going to yeah. change here, yeah. right? It's only going to continue to move forward. Um, you know, it would definitely help not just the industry, um, but it would help if they would pass something to at least allow banking. So we're going to wait on government. No wonder you're you're not real yeah, optimistic right. on, <laughs> on the future. Yeah, right. So, okay, so so to, speaking of the future, I'm, I'm always interested in, and I know maybe you probably can't talk about specifics, but someone who knows that the, the, the business, the industry is, is hyper growth over the long haul, right? We're, sure. if we're, we're not of retirement age and we want to invest in uh the business itself. Are there certain areas that we should be looking at in in into the future that would be more opportunistic as, as a long play? Because it's it's interesting. Like I always like I like gambling stocks, and I like I like like to get into the to, to the industry that's kind of on the ground level for where I am in my age and my life. And like I look at gambling and I look at cannabis as interesting plays because there's there's all there's it's the same thing, right? It's not federally accepted. And potentially recession proof plays. I mean, in a, in a sense, oh. potentially. <laughs> I mean, listen, our sales went up during COVID. Big right. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to talk about an opportunity, right, this is still an in industry that's in its infancy. Right, exactly. Right? Um, it's not federally legal yet. We trade, um, you know, if you look at any of the major MSOs today, uh, it's a it's great opportunity uh, because... When you say MSO, what does that mean? Uh, oh, sorry, multi-state operator. Okay. So we would be considered a multi-state operator. We operate in multiple states across the country. So if you look at the big five, six, seven groups out there, um, we've been dubbed MSOs, right? And that's and that's all there is. There's five or seven of them right no, now. No, I mean, the... there's more coming. Okay. Okay, but yeah, there's really still maybe seven groups that were started out um, as, you know, this is our plan. We're going to go out and we're going to build across yeah, the country. One of the reasons, um, yeah, go up. I don't well, know. Well, I was going to say, I think the big opportunity here um, from a, from a investment standpoint is when there is some change um, somewhere in, in the banking area that allows us to trade on a New York stock exchange, right? Mm -hmm. Because at that point, the liquidity of the stock market um, is going to make a huge difference in, in, in the, in the stock prices, right, in the ability for people to bring more money. Um, and then it's going to bring in the groups we're talking about, right, big tobacco, alcohol. I mean, listen, we've all done a great job, and, 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 and you know, I'm proud of all the MSOs out here that have been able to get to the point where they're at. Um, but 
I can tell you right now, when Budweiser comes into this industry, they're going to do a little more efficient job than we are, right? They're going to be able to produce things cheaper than we are. Um, so there's there's a big opportunity there um, in the future. Can um, you invest in MSOs right now? Absolutely. Okay, so yeah. you would do it where you ha- and, and how do you do that? Just so yeah, so we're all you know we're all publicly traded in Canada, so you can either you can either on the Canadian Securities Exchange um, or uh, on the over account OTC here, the over counter uh, exchange here in in the U.S. So um, they broker those Canadian stocks. So. And so when it does become federally legal, how do you actually exchange on the New York Stock Exchange? Is that is another application yeah. where you yeah absolutely okay so you, yeah okay so, and, we, and we've had discussions already okay um, at one point you know. And so a lot of us are already preparing for that, right? So um, we're getting gap compliant um, because it's uh, it's something that you have to do to trade here in the U.S. Uh, we're getting SOX compliant. So all the things that a, that a company would need to do in order to trade uh, on the U.S. stock exchange, all of us, you know, MSOs, bigger MSOs, we're all preparing for that now. Got it. Walk, walk me through just grabbing a license. Like let, let's let's use California first, and maybe another state after. But what is the? Let's say you want okay, you want to open up a cannabis shop in uh, you know San Francisco, right? What what exactly do you do? How long does it take? Give you know, give me a sense. Well, that's that's really a question that I can't even answer uh, <laughs> because it really depends, right? So every state. Uh, municipalities to some extent depending on what state you're in um you know it's different right so if i want to if i want a license in arizona i got to acquire one because there are no more licenses available to and, me. and just so and the so, so order, the local the local government decides there's only x amount of licenses that will issue sure okay so the, so the state of arizona uh and 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 what was passed in arizona um is that there's x amount of licenses and that's how many there are um and now was that just interesting sorry to interrupt but is it like who knows who that gets those licenses? I mean, is it? Oh, no, no. So actually in Arizona, and this will get into the differences, right? Yeah. So in Arizona, everybody puts in an application, and then you're a lottery ball after that. But is it, does it, I mean, are there backdoor deals going on? In, in no, some, none no, of it. Everything no. is above because board. they're pulling lottery balls. So it's they're literally, a, they're literally doing Yeah, they're, no, yeah. So there's a lottery ball, and if your ball comes out. So, it, so it, there are ways that you could position yourself better, okay. um, but that's fine in the areas where other people may not be applying. And right? by positioning so yourself, do you have like uh, 14 different balls in the thing? Where <laughs> well, is possibly, right? So yeah. at certain points, right, we have locked up, you know, 10 different locations and put in 10 different applications for one license, right? Got it. Um, where somebody else may just be putting in one, or maybe there's an area over here in the state um, where you find it's very hard to find real estate, but we've been able to find some real estate. Um, and so there's maybe only two balls instead of 10 balls in that certain section on what they call in Arizona CHAWS. Um, you know, if you go to Florida, right, that was a application process, um, all on merit. If you go to Maryland, all on merit, so, right? So Yeah, stop real, real quick. The, the distinction, so merit-based versus non-merit-based. Sure. Dig into that a little bit because I'm sure, <laughs> sure people want to know. <laughs> sure. So uh, merit-based was where we're writing applications, and those applications are scored. Um, and then the people who have the top scores um, end up with the licenses. And if they're given five licenses, um, like they gave five cultivation licenses in uh, the state of Arkansas, we were in the top five. And, again, you know, did we did – we, uh, you know, stack it for ourselves. Yeah, because we applied in every region for a cultivation license. We won in f- every region but one of them, and then we get to choose what region we wanted to go into, right? Where some people may have only applied in one region. Well, you can use your size as a strength, right? Like you sure. have, you Absolutely. have ca- your your uh, your bank account has uh, some some merit to it. I think what has more merit is operating the longest uh, in the highly regulated medical market, mm. right? So Arizona, fortunately for Harvest, starting in Arizona and having that merit. 
uh, as we continue to go on. Not to mention our application team is the best in the country. Got it. Uh, but uh, uh, that merit really helped us when we started out winning licenses. Do you feel like there's certain points in the application that you really try to be strong in that really can get you over the hump? Or um, I don't. Uh, it, it, so really, you have to look at every state. You have to look at the application. You have to take the application apart and understand, okay, what really makes sense. So, for example, in the state of Maryland, we partnered with a small town called uh, town of Hancock. They own 5% of what we have in, in Maryland. Um, the reason we par- partnered with them is because it was, uh, it was a, t- a town that was on a downturn um, and it was struggling. And so we, in the application, we figured with how the application was questions that were being asked that by doing this and partnering with this town, um, that that would get us, you know, above other folks. And it did. Well, it's all state driven. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot here a little bit. Cause we yeah. could just start talking about it. Once we yeah. starts ap- asking about yeah, yeah, application yeah. process, <laughs> right, right. it's getting deep. Well, yeah. I don't know. Well, everybody cares on. about well, this. Right? I think <laughs> people want to know to win a license, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you, we could come back to anything, but to, to loosen yeah. it up a little bit. Okay. For crying, Sorry. Out, yeah. crying out loud. We start asking like, Hey, how do I just fill out an application? Well, you write your name down and then, yeah. So I mean, are you trying to get me to put No, no. Wanted to know your recipe, so Joe, so Joe, so Joe, to mix it up a little bit, let's talk yeah. about let's talk about you as the person, right? Now you're yeah, you're an executive of a, of a very successful company, so I want to know what's it like having a couple of dollars in your pocket, uh, married, kids, single. Where do you live? Give us a little background on on the person. Okay, so, and then we're gonna go. So from there. Um, not married, no kids. Congratulations. Um, yes, I think uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I'm where I want to be, and, and I mean, if we really look back, I mean, um, you know, to get a little personal. Um, when I graduated college, I'm sitting exactly where I wanted to be when I graduated college. Um, you know, I, I expected myself to build, um, turn around, um, and hopefully take a company public uh, at one point in my career. Um, and in, uh, I would say at the beginning of 2018, I had built and sold some, some private, uh, private companies, um, but I had yet to get involved in any public publicly traded companies. Um, now that I have, I wish I hadn't, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's <laughs> good lesson. Yeah, it, it was in, in, in you know, being part of taking Harvest Public was kind of the last, you know, checkbox for me from what I expected when I graduated college. So let's 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 kind of dive into that a little bit because yeah. this is really the crux of what we're doing here at this at this yeah. podcast is yeah. understanding when you've checked all the boxes, right? And you look back on your career, can you give us a couple of things where you're like, these were pivotal moments or things I overcome or skills that they, they transcended my career, my life, and, and here I am looking back. Is there some, some can you glean some light on sure. some of that for, for what people could learn from your, your experience? Sure. I mean, again, I'll take it back to what starts, you know, I, I mean, it starts on the farm, my father <laughs> and mother, how I was raised, right? Um, I wasn't, you know, like I said, I wasn't given a, a Ferrari or, or those types of things, but what I was given is love. Um, I was taught how to respect people, respect myself, um, and that, uh, you know, if I worked hard, um, that I would be able to achieve. Right? Awesome. So I worked hard in sports. I worked hard in, in school. Um, and so those were those were life lessons that really put me in a position to where I'm at today, which is um, the number one thing I guess I would say for people is that I failed so many times. And there's so many times I looked at myself in the mirror and said, hey, you should go to work for IBM and make $500,000 a year. And, you know, and I never quit. Um, and so that's that is so, so they're not quitting and learning from all those, what I will call setbacks. People want to say failures. Um, I'd like to, to retract that word, all the setbacks, because the only time I would have ever failed if I would have quit. 
Right. You know, it's, it's awesome. interesting. We talk, we talk about you being single, right? Yep. And, and we've talked about this on a, on a personal level, which is, I always thought, a very interesting perspective that you shared with me. I don't know if you remember this. It might have been a couple shots deep, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, it, it was interesting, though, because you, you mentioned that. You mentioned how many times you've failed. And one of the reasons that you shared with me as to why you were single at that moment was, you know what? Because of the risks I take, uh, business-wise, I feel like I, I have a responsibility to, to remain single because I know what kind of risk assessment I have, and I don't want to put that on, on a, a family environment. That's um, interesting. It, it is interesting. And, yet, and now, though, interestingly, does that really uh, play out right now? Because you've uh, ostensibly you're, you're financially um, secure. Uh, does that change any concept of being single versus wanting to have a family or, or no? Well, I mean, I know I look like I'm 25 when, but yeah. I'm almost 50. <laughs> so I'm not sure I want any kids running around yeah. my house right, when I'm 75 years old. Um, yeah, I might but, break a hip. Yeah, no, I, I would say that, you know, what's cost me relationships in my life is the fact that um, the first time I ever had an employee, you don't really understand the responsibility. And mm. Casey, you know, um, you know, yeah. I mean, until you have somebody who is dependent on you to make sure they have a paycheck every two weeks, yeah. to make sure they have health insurance, a safe place to work, right? Um, and when you own a business, you take that as your family, right? You 100%. have a responsibility where these, I, I look at people that, that work with me and I look at beyond just the person, I look at their family, their situation. 100%. And I, I wake up every morning with this, this like opportunity to help people come up and do things that they never thought possible. But also with the responsibility of like one employee equals two, you know, you start to yeah. grow and scale. There's, you start doing the math on people with, you know, four kids and things like that. It's a lot of people that are, you know, you're responsible Absolutely. for. So there's, yeah. it's a, it, a, I mean, it's a responsibility. It's something that if, if done correctly at an executive or leadership level, it, it, you, you, what you do with it defines who you are to some degree. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I've seen plenty of people start to make money in the business and, you know, either gamble it away or whatever, right? Um, I think, you know, if you're serious about what you're doing as an employer, you're going to, number one priority is going to be your employees, right? right. Um, your customers got to be just as close, but, for, you know, right behind that. Um, what's cost me relationships is that, right? So, uh, you know, let's go to Hawaii together, right? And uh, all of a sudden something's going on in the business. You got to get home. Um, you got to get home. And, you know, unfortunately, women could feel second best there, um, even though that, uh, you, you know, you might love that person and they're not second best. Um, it makes it difficult. Um, and then what you had said, right, like the risk side for me, like I've made money and I've been broke, right, right after making money. Thank God, by the way, because then w when you actually really make real money, you realize, okay, know yeah. what to do with it. Um, but uh, I've made money. I've been broke. I had no business having a family um, and the risks that I was taking to try to get to the point where I was at, where I'm at today. So I love <clears throat> this idea of money lessons because everyone uh, can learn something from it. So, so, so talk a little bit. You said I've been broke. I've made yeah. some money, and I learned a lot of things along the way. Can you touch on some of those things for 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 everyone, including ourselves, just to understand like what what are some of those either mistakes and what are some of the things that you would have done differently or that you've learned over the years? Sure. Uh, I think that, that, you know, you look at money before you have it um, and you think it's for things, right? Um, and then you get it and you buy things or you make terrible investments because every deal looks great. To right. You, right. Like you're going to make another yeah. million dollars. As an entrepreneur, right? you're always glass absolutely. half full, right? Like yeah. you look at every deal and you're like, I can make this work. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That's and, um, um, and then I think you realize later that money is security, right? Um, and what you do with it um, and how to make it grow. 
right? Uh, most people don't learn. We don't learn in high school. We don't learn in oh. college what it is to make what, what money is and how to how to make it work and how to how to make it grow, right? Um, but I think that realizing the the change for me was realizing that money isn't for things. Money's for security, and that if I want things, I've got to take the money that I have, put it to work so that I don't spend that money and the money that's working for me is what I can go buy things with. Right. right. So it's the difference between principle and, and interest, absolutely. right? Like absolutely. people don't understand so, that how, yeah. what your money is doing. Absolutely. Because also too, there's this idea of like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to cut out coffee and that's going to save me $4 a day. And that's going to be the difference. It's like, yeah. no, just put your money to work and have yeah. the money you, you know, you're making, let's call it a hundred dollars, have that money. I bet a hundred dollars make you $4. So you get a piece of coffee, that, right? Like right. there's just this idea and nobody's teaching this nobody stuff. Nobody's, that. and nobody's, talking about it until you actually have a couple of dollars in your pocket where yeah. people because you want to know why people are talking about because they want some of those dollars that are in your pocket so now people are talking about it so well, and i'll tell you one of the most impactful books i've ever read in my life uh was rich dad poor dad yeah that's what got me and you and i you know i'm a i own i own doors right and we talk about doors we're talking about apartments um or rental units right uh, could be this building that, that you own um but we we're collecting rent every month right my principal in that building is going nowhere as a matter of fact it's growing right um, and i'm still collecting uh, uh those rent checks which then i can go get things with if i want or preferably put it to work more right and um, and when you when you did start to accumulate some money did you start to look at the world differently from a time perspective because one of the things as i've gotten older that i didn't recognize when i was younger is money's nice, but time is really nice. And the people that I surround myself and the experiences 100%. and all those different things, my perspective changes so, so much. What were you, cause you're a little bit older, <laughs> but, but, but as, but as very little, by the way, I was very. A, lot, a lot more successful, but a little bit older. But, and, and so I just curious as to how your perspective is, uh, has changed over the, over the years. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Like time is really, um, if I have the time and I've, I've told people like, you don't know what I would pay for another hour in the day. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think time is what we, um, it's what, it's what, well, I mean, you can use it, right. But you can't get any more. It's undervalued. A hundred percent. So, um, I think that that's probably the most undervalued commodity that we have yeah. that is, that is limited. Right. So, um, what do you do with that time? Yeah. Right. And uh, who you spend and, it with. And who you spend it with. Right. And so, um, I did spend a lot of that time working on the things that I have done um, and neglected things in my life, personal life, right? Wife, kids, those types of things to get to where I'm at today. And, I, and you asked me earlier, like, could I see that changing? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, at the, at the end of uh, when I'm done um, with when, once a merger happens and whatever time I spend working uh, with TrueLeave and uh, in the transition and for however much more time I have there um, to will I'm to, to the point where I'm not creating value anymore. Um, at, at that point, you know, then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slow down. What and, do you want to do spend with more time? Right golfing with my friends, okay, yeah. you know, wake surfing, um, you know, traveling, uh, spending time with my family, my parents. I have two healthy parents that are both 78 years old um, who I owe everything to. Um, and, you know, I've neglected that relationship to some extent, right? I've moved around a lot. I've done a lot of things um, in order for me to be able to accomplish my goals. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad plays golf three days a week still. I mean, the guy's in great awesome. shape. Uh, I want to be playing three days a week of golf with my father, right? Yeah. I want to be spending time with my mother, um, you know, believe it or not, you know, making yoki in the kitchen, yeah, um, right? Sure. But uh, brother, sister, right? The relationships that um, we have great love for each other. But um, at the end of the day, like, uh, I haven't, I haven't had the, the ability to put in that time. So those are the things that I want to do. Um, and, and 
take a step back, but I'll never be able to stop. Walk, walk me through a, a typical day when you were at, and maybe maybe in the heart of your career, when you start and then what you did throughout the day so people can get an idea of to what both the sacrifice the means. The hours. The yeah. hours. And then what specifically, as a, as a senior exec, what are you doing? You know, because like, people sure. see... It's it's uh it's been sensationalized entrepreneurship right but yeah. I think when you see like successful uh, execs and entrepreneurs there's still this question of like okay well, like what when they what do they do when they wake up when do they go to bed and what are they doing throughout the day like they get all the credit but what 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 happens like what what's the middle of the sandwich look like sure uh, it's a grind you know yeah right um, it's not glorious um, and uh, uh, people think a lot of the times like um, you know. Uh, you have a business and you make a bunch of money and you don't have to do anything, um, which I would argue that one of the reasons I'm where I'm at today in my life is because um, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, never have been, don't want to be, by the way. Um, I'm a C student, right? Um, but uh, you kind of look like a C student. Hard, hard, <laughs> you're going to be hard pressed to find people willing to outwork me. Yeah. Right. And so if we talk about that, um, I'm up every day by four thirty-five in the morning. I'm in the gym at 6 a.m. I'm out of the gym at seven. I'm working between, you know, if, if I'm in the car, I'm on the phone. Um, and, you know, I've evolved from being a um, an executor. OK, so that's, you know, all day in the trenches, grinding, trying to, you know, get whatever it is done so that we can make payroll next week. Right. right? Um, and you know, back against the wall yeah. type of entrepreneur, I've come up that way, right? Nobody ever gave me money and said, Hey, go build this business. I built them off cash flow. Yep. That's um, awesome. To where I've evolved today. Um, I spend most of my time today on, on phone calls, either strategically um, discussing the business and where that business should go and what we should do as an organization or um, trying, I'm still working my way out because I've always been an executor and I've always been, you know, I, I love being in the trenches with my guys. I want right. to be there. Right. Um, and they're like, Hey man, we got this. Right. So I'm working on, and, and I have been working on myself for a long time um, to become much more now a, a, as a coach um, versus, versus a, a dictator or, you know, this is what needs to happen and jumping into trenches and doing it with them. Um, so I would say, you know, a lot of my time is spent with my direct reports, um, y y y working on their issues and problems that they may have, cross-functional issues that are happening in the organization. But it's, it, you know, legitimately, I would say, you know, we're putting in anywhere between a 10 to a 15 hour day. And I'm working, I mean, you've been on my house on Sunday, I'm working yeah. seven days a week. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, there's nothing glorious about it. Well, I want to take this opportunity because yeah. this is this is interesting because I'm in a similar stage of trying to take a step back in the business and yep. leave the executor and the doer part of it and then empower a team to actually do it. Yep. Do you have any insight as to, because one of the things I struggle with or used to struggle with was you, you just answer the question, right? Like you, they come up with a problem. I'm like, all right, do this. Like, I just don't, I don't let them make these decisions. And then yep. I've realized that you can hamstring people doing that, I'm but are sure. there certain, are there other things or that, or what are some, maybe some guidances to someone yep. who's trying to encourage leadership amongst a team of people? Because at the end of the day, the business can't be you. Right. When someone buys you, they're yeah. actually wanting you yeah. to, you know, probably transition. Kick rocks. Well, I, I, I think, Casey, what I would tell you is our, our number one priority as a leader should be to leave the business in better leadership than what it is that when we're here. That's awesome. Right? Yeah, um, that's so and true. So how do you get to that point if you're going to do everything? Right. So I have coaches. Right. I have people that coach me. 
Um, I uh, have, I've had 360s done on myself with my own people, right, to understand, you know, what do I need to change, right, and then share that with them. And I tell them, you know, nothing's off limits. You know, I, I am, I'm just, uh, I look at myself, Casey, and as somebody that is just another person at the company that has a role. And you may have a different role than I do, but it's just as important. Um, and I always want my team to feel that way. And I want them to understand that they can always come to me and tell me, hey, Joe, stay out of my business. I've got yeah. this handled, right? Um, and so allowing your team to do that, right, giving them the permission to say, hey, tell me, come to me and tell me, we've got this, stay out of my business, let us handle it. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. And what I've learned is, and I'm still working on it, by the way, and I'll always be working on this, right? But what I've learned is that if we allow those folks to take that, generally they're going to find something better than we thought of, and or they're going to make a mistake and learn from it, and they're not going to do it again, right? And those mistakes are important for their growth and important for the company's growth. So um, get a coach, somebody that can help you understand how do I do this, but but give your your employees the the the, the authority um, the to come to you and say, no, listen, we've got this, right? You've got to let them give you feedback, even when it's negative. What I've learned over the last, what I've been able to do, I'm probably most proud of for me over the last two or three years is that I'm great now with taking constructive criticism about my management style and the things that I'm doing. Is, is it, is it, cause I love, I love that, all of that. And, and thank you for that. Is there We've talked about this several times on the show, the idea of confidence and building confidence and how when, when you do get knocked down, how you create confidence, is there a level of confidence that you've gotten to where now you're able to take some of that criticism yeah. and where maybe in your younger days, you're like, you want to fight back. You're like, wait a minute. No, this is why I did that. You're explaining yourself now as you're like, let me listen. Let me think about that before I even respond. How, how did you get to that point? Um, I think, first of all, um, you know, I, you're right, right? Like, how do you get to this point of, and I think some of it's confidence. I think a lot of it too is what have you already um, experienced, right? So if I look back at experiences and say, okay, well, I, you know, I've, I never have a problem raising my hand and saying I'm wrong, right? Um, and if I look back at some of my experiences and start to realize mm -hmm. that I didn't maybe make the best decision, but if I would have allowed somebody else to be part of that decision, we might have made a better decision. Um, and then building also that confidence, like you said, um, I'm very confident that if we make a mistake, that I have a great team around me that can fix that mistake. Well, you've, you've fostered an amazing culture, which is another thing that, that we consistently throughout everybody that sat, sit in this chair, culture and confidence seem to be a consistent theme in winning. And what you've, what you've described, what you've reflected on these last, you know, couple minutes is exactly what you're stating. You've, you've fostered the type of culture that wins, which means empower people, uh, treat people respectfully, check your ego at the door. You're, you're, a, you're a team player. You have a role. Everybody has a role. Nobody's better than, than anyone else. And I think that's, that's really fascinating. It's, it's been great. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you, uh, if you um, look at yourself in the mirror and then you realize that, you know, you, everybody around you, no matter what their role is in the organization, that you can learn from them. Um, and then you start to take that approach and say, okay, I, I consciously told myself I want to be better leader. So what am I going to do to be a better leader? Get a coach, read a lot of books, yeah. um, and, and allow my team to give me feedback so that I can be a better leader. Um, and I, those are the three things I'd tell you that are, are really have gotten me to to work on it. I'm not saying I'm great at it today, but yeah. we're working on it. Yeah. What what are what's what's something that people don't know about 
an executive, like the life of an executive? What's something maybe if you peel the curtain, take the curtain back a bit that, that people, maybe there's this idea of like, hey, every senior executive is probably this or that or what, like give me some idea as to what like the reality is versus maybe, you know how they have these like these memes of like Instagram versus reality pictures. Like what is it? Yeah, like every day you come in and you get a hot washcloth that, that, that goes you have your own ba- You have your own bathroom, bathroom in the office. Yeah, yeah, you have your own bathroom. Yeah. Your assistant is a 24 uh, year old blonde uh, in, in Arizona. Uh, no. Well, that might be uh, true. Fact, you know, I still book my own flights. I okay. still answer my own emails, right? Like, um, um, I think that probably one thing that most people don't know is that it, it's pretty lonely. Right? So that is so, so true. And that's probably one of the reasons why you have a coach, right? Because yeah. you need somebody to talk to and, and some of your friends, a lot of your family, they're just not in the same, they're, they're not, they're going to have anything that's going to not living the well, experience. Yeah. And when I say it's pretty lonely, like, you know, as I have, um, as I have direct reports that are growing and they're, and they're advancing in the business, they start to realize it, it's just not about the fact, because I, I do have a lot of successful people around me, very fortunate to have those people around me, people that I can call and say, Hey, but it gets lonely in the company. Okay. Because you can't have the conversation that you were having at the water cooler yeah. when you were, you know, this employee, now that you're this employee, right? You have to behave differently. You have to act differently. Not that you change who you are, but people are watching. Certainly people, have to yeah. modify. You're under a microscope. Yeah. And so, and so it's, it's very important that you understand, you know, that I think is a misconception is that, you know, you're leading this company and everything's great and it's, you know, all fun and games. It gets pretty lonely because you got a few people in the organization you can have some of those conversations with. And, you know, that's just one, one example. On yeah. And I think it's important what you said. Um, people are watching. Yeah. Right. The other thing I had to learn, Casey, is if I'm walking down the hallway with a scowl on my face, that means Joe's pissed off, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, well, all I was doing was thinking about what needs to happen. I'm walking by people not realizing they're there, so now I'm mad, right? And so understanding that mm. that's the other thing as an executive, we could say is somewhat lonely, is you have to be, uh, you have to show up every day. You're on. Yeah. Self-discovery yeah, self discovery uh, is, is important, which I think what you're speaking to is when you say grab a coach, one of the things is, you know, an unexamined life is a life not worth living, right? I mean, and, and in business, it's even more important to understand who you are and how you can amend yourself to be a, a better uh, executive every day. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about this because it, the chief energy officer, right? Like you're being evaluated on how you look and how, how you dress, how you talk, what the, the scowl on your face when you're walking down the hall. And it could have nothing to do with what your actual energy is. So as you put this, um, you kind of, you, this kind of uh, mode of like, look, everything's positive. We're good to go. Like, how do you, when, when, when you do get, you get hit with a lawsuit, you get hit with a licensing infraction, you get hit with someone, there's an employee that's disgruntled. There's just all kinds of stuff shit that happens right when you manage that many people so how do you what are the things that you can do to actually say hey i got to stay positive no matter what because there's you know a thousand other people that are relying on me for 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 that sure um i I don't know that i have a good answer for that okay to be honest with you casey um i think you know what i've learned is that everything isn't as big of a deal as it seems to be at the time right so um and that's to try to approach issues that we have as an organization um but i i I mean i have so much work to do and getting better at that right um i'm i am unfortunately um the type of person that sees everything that's wrong um (laughs) and i don't do a great job of telling my team how great they have been and Mm. what they have done and the accomplishments that they've made right this is another thing that i continue to work on um and so I'm still working on it. I don't have a great answer for you. And there's times where I fail in that miserably. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's good insight and, and though so into into the thought process behind it, right? Like we're yeah. not we're not perfect creatures, and in, in I think it's one of the things is this self awareness of the you know yes, this is something that's important, but no, I'm not where I need or want to be. So I'm working on it. Like that's just the yeah, answer, right? Like that's where just, I need to be. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that if you could take the approach to where, um, if I look at all the things that I thought were just terrible at the time, um, they generally turned out to be good, mm-hmm. right? After the fact. Um, and so I look at the same things I'm I'm talking about in my life. And so I kind of look at the same thing in business, right? When something bad happens, um, you know, it really comes down to what are you going to do? How are you going to react? Right. Um, to make it not be so bad. Well, And there's kind of two, there's two different things. When, when something bad happens, there's, there's a, I split it in. There's, there's an emotional, there's a visceral response. There's an emotional response, but then there's an intellectual response and they may be completely opposite. They might be a completely different reaction emotionally. Like, Oh shit. I'm fucked. And yet when you start intellectualizing, you go, well, wait a second, actually rationally, no, I'm not. And this is how I'm going to, this is how I'm going to make this win. Right. I mean, do you see that as, as a distinguishing moment? Yeah, I think so. And I think what, what the one part I've gotten good at is, is, is the emotional side of it. Mm. All right. It doesn't bother me anymore. Is that the not get too high, not too low, but yeah, you stay the equilibrium anymore? Like, yeah, yeah. I know we're going to get through it. Yeah, right. I mean, but part we're not of that, shutting the doors tomorrow part, because something bad happened. But part of that is is experience, right? Like you yeah, tell a twenty year, you tell a yeah. twenty year old who's in a startup yeah. that every single thing that ha- every day they're on this roller yeah. coaster, and you can even tell them like, hey, it's your equilibrium. It's not gonna, don't get too high, don't get no. too low, and they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. the next day they're doing the same it's exact. It's funny your teammate Rasheed Davis, who we had, we had Rasheed, who was a yeah. Chicago Bear, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. So the, the second game, so we made the Bears that team. The, the the second game, he caught a winning touchdown uh, against the Minnesota Vikings, right? And I was so pumped. I was a very young agent, and I called the GM, Jerry Angelo, at the time, and I was like, Rashid, you know? And he's like, when? <laughs> he goes, I'm taking new contract, you know? <laughs> and he goes, hey, check this out, pal. Uh, the NFL, you know, you can't get too high on the W's, and you can't get too low on the L's because guess what? Next week, Rashid could get hurt. Rashid could get uh, drop a pass. So he's like, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but check this out. In the league, and this is true of life, don't get too high. And don't get too low. Try to stay even keel. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with that. That's funny. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, really think, shut me up in, think, a, in a minute. <laughs> yeah, but I think what, you know, if you look back on that, right, experience yeah. today, yeah. You, you're not, you I don't would have know not that, to do that. Well, you don't have that reaction anymore, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you know. Well, and I've had highs and lows. I mean, every every athlete and every businessman, yeah. I think it's a similar thing. Was there Sometimes was there one that you remember, like one, like where you got knocked down where you're like, like fuck, oof. this is, or like yeah. one pivotal moment in your life or that, that, whether it was your life or business where you're like that, the first thing that comes to your head. Was there, is there one of those moments in your life? Um, yeah, yeah, there is. Um, yeah, there is. All right, now, uh, now we'll dig in. <laughs> I think we found the sweet uh, spot. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, we finally uh, cracked him. It took us a while, but we got him. Yeah, no. Um, but uh, uh, I'd prefer to have that conversation off camera. Sure, no problem. Right, right, we'll we'll right. have it tonight. We'll yeah, have we'll, it tonight. We'll, we'll edit the details back yeah. into this video. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll get a hidden camera tonight. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. Um, Joe, thank you very, very much for, for taking the time to hang out with us. Um, I, I really enjoy the conversation, and uh, thank you for being here. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, I just want to let you guys know that this is yet another amazing session of, of Fuck You Friday. And please, uh, you know, continue to send us DMs, like us, subscribe, do whatever you need to do. We're on every fucking platform out there, Joe, just so you know. Every platform. And no, so I have no social media, by the way. <laughs> I know, I know. You're by, by design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, thank you very, very much. Yeah. And this uh, wraps up yet another session of uh, Fuck You Friday. Thanks, Joe. It was great to be here. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Joe. Awesome.